The title of my message this morning is Jehovah Jireh. At least that's the way I pronounce it. It's not quite the way the Hebrews would pronounce it. But Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. However, we're going to do a little quick review. Um, it's been about three weeks since we looked at the book of Genesis. I hope you either watched online or you were here to hear the messages of the last two weeks that Pastor Bob shared. Really a message filled with truth and the impact that the, the gospel message should have on our lives and change everything. And last week, I hope you felt challenged as I felt challenged by Pastor Casey's message about the Lordship of Christ. Not only Savior, but, but Lord. And we will see that also evidenced, I believe, in the message today. But I want to go back a little bit very quickly um, to review, to just bring us back up to speed where we were at a few weeks ago. The message that last week was, you know, forcing the hand of God, you know, our impatience, our, our, our difficulty we have waiting on God and the promises of God. You know, individually, there are promises that God has for each one of us that are in the Word, they're in the Scriptures. They are guaranteed to be true. And there's times in our lives when we really wrestle with, okay, when? How? We come up with our own concepts. At that time, we were looking at Abraham and Sarah. They had been promised a son, Isaac, and they had been promised a son many, many years. They were waiting years. They weren't waiting weeks or months. They were waiting years for God to fulfill this promise of having a son. And they finally decided, and it seemed to be initiated by Sarah, to do something about it. And that's where we came into the story of Abraham and Sarah, and then Sarah's maid, Hagar, and then eventually Ishmael. Sarah's plan was being they couldn't have a child, her and Abraham, that she would send her maid, Hagar, an Egyptian maid, into his tent, into his bed, to conceive a child. And that's exactly what happened. And they uh, conceived and they had a child, a boy, a son named Ishmael. It wasn't God's promised son. It was something that they took into their own hands to accomplish sort of forcing the hand of God, if you would. And uh, the consequences of that are even being felt today, as we talked about. That's kind of the, the lineage of the what we would call the Arab nations today and the, the hostility between the Arab nations and Israel. Sin has consequences. Stepping out of God's will has consequences. We did talk very briefly a little bit about how they could do such a thing. You know, it seems so out of their character. Abraham's faith is being built as he goes through trial after trial after trial, testing and testing. And, he, you know, I, I just receive encouragement that Abraham messed up a number of times. The father of the faith, Abraham, this man of faith, he gets more scripture, more verses in chapter 11 of Hebrews about this hall of fame of faith than any other person. And yet he messed up a lot. He messed up a lot. But God blessed his heart. God had a plan and a purpose. And one of the things we realize, and I think we'll see over and over, and we'll see it again as we get to where I want to talk about, is one of the things that, that we really need to have a faith that's firm on who Jesus is and who the Lord is and his promises is, is because we don't understand his plan. We don't see the fullness of his plan. I mean, how many times have we said when we look back in our lives, when we went through a trial or a test, and we see then the benefits of what we went through, but at the time we were like, what in the world is happening? God, where are you? What's going on? Are you punishing me or what? 
we jump the wrong conclusions because we don't understand his plan. And we'll see that the case with Abraham in a little while. And we need to understand that what they did was socially acceptable, legal, if you would, in their culture of that day. You could give your maid and raise them as your own child. It was acceptable in God's eyes. And we mentioned briefly how there's so many things in our own culture today that are acceptable or even legal that the Christian church in too many cases goes along with or embraces things that the Bible is very clear about that are wrong. Things like abortion, things like gay marriage, things like the party spirit, drunkenness, things that the church should have nothing to do with except to maybe stand up and speak truths where the lies are being believed. So it's a trap that we can all fall into. Abraham and Sarah certainly did. Eventually, God changes their names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And it's almost like he was just their names, every time they'd hear it, because of the meaning in the Hebrew, would be a reminder of his promise. Abram to Abraham, father of nation. Sarai, princess, to Sarah, mother of many nations. So even their names were changed to just almost reinforce and remind and encourage them of God's promises. And then we saw that eventually um, Ishmael was going to be sent away because of problems between Sarah and Hagar. And you could kind of miss maybe the impact that that would have had if, on Abraham especially. Ishmael was his son. It was his flesh and blood. And he leaves. He's, they have to leave. Hagar and Ishmael leave. It troubled Ish, uh, Abraham so much, um, you may remember that he actually went to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord says, Abraham, I've heard your prayers for Ishmael. And Ishmael will be blessed. He will have 12 children. And they called it 12 princes. And he will be a great nation. But he made clear he is not the promised child. He is not your descendant that I am going to fulfill my promises on. But God honored again the heart of Abraham, even in the midst of all these things. I want to read Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And the thing that struck me when I read this particular part of Scripture was, They had been told about the promise many, many times over many, many years. And then Abraham has just been told this again by the Lord, that you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to, you and Sarah are going to have a child. You're going to have a son. He just told him this. And then we come to verse 14, 10 through 14 of chapter 18. And this time something's different. What's different this time is Sarah hears it with her own ears. It says this, I will surely return to you at this time next year. This is the Lord speaking to him. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And then the Lord spoke these words in verse 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? 
At the appointed time, I will return to you, and at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Anything too difficult for the Lord? When they had showed up this time, when the Lord came, there was three of them, three men. And we learn a little bit later who those three men are. They, in fact, aren't really men. One of them is the Lord, and the other two are angels. And when they came, evidently Abraham recognized it immediately. And he welcomed them and encouraged them, exhorted them not to pass by but to stay, to fellowship. He says, let me get some water so you can wash your feet, a tradition of hospitality. And he told Sarah, get some bread cakes. Make some bread. Make some fresh bread. He told his servant, go out and get the the choicest, most tender lamb. We'll cook that. And then he served the meat. It says with milk and curds, this picture of them sitting together in fellowship. The question I asked was, why did this all take so soon after he had already told Abraham umpteen times and just finishing telling him again about the promise that was there? And I truly believe it was for Sarah to hear. But I believe there's some other things that we could maybe learn from this, the purpose of the visit. For us, is there something we can learn from that visit and apply to our own lives? And I believe there is. And I believe the answer to that question, what can we apply, might be different for what might be different groups of people. For example, saved people. People who have truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord. When we look at that, we see fellowship, intimacy. Abraham inviting him in, drawing close, and through that fellowship and intimacy, there's a reaffirmation of the promise. There's encouragement from the Lord himself to both Abraham and Sarah being encouraged because of this fellowship, because of this intimacy. Building of their faith. Reminding them that the promise is coming. As a matter of fact, this time, for the very first time, he even gives a time frame that the promise is coming. They've been waiting for years and probably wondered, yeah, right, how much longer The Lord says, when I return this time next year, you will already have a son. And this all came because of this opportunity for fellowship. Because we do see, obviously it was the Lord's intention, but Abraham encouraged them, exhorted them, please stay, come, come to my home, don't pass by. He wanted fellowship with the Lord. I think a lesson for us as Christians, man, we go through trials and tests all the time. And believe it or not, some of them are put right there by God himself. Not to tempt us to sin, but to give us opportunities to grow spiritually, mature spiritually. And I think there could be a message here for another group of people, the saved and the unsaved together. That verse in chapter chapter 18, verse 14, is there anything... Too difficult for the Lord. For believers, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? No matter what you're going through, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the struggle is, whatever the circumstance, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? He will make a way. 
He may make a way by providing what it is we need in his own power for his own glory to, to bring us out of that situation. Or he may give us the grace to go through that situation. And either way, the Lord will provide. For the unbeliever, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Is there any sin so vile that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot wash it away and bring forgiveness? Absolutely not. Is there anything that any of us have done, whether Christian or unbeliever, that is somehow in our minds disqualifying us from intimacy and fellowship with the Lord? In the case of an unbeliever, becoming part of the family of God. Is there anything? I mean, if we think about this for a moment, and we can go through many examples. Moses was a murderer. God chose him. David was an adulterer and a murderer. God chose him and declared that he was a man after his own heart. Peter denied Christ three times, even after God told him, after the Lord Jesus himself said, Peter, you're going to do it. Oh, no, Lord, no way, Lord. And here it came, and he did it anyway. The Apostle Paul, if not an instigator of, he was certainly there when they stoned Stephen to death. And then he went on to persecute the church, arresting, beating, imprisoning. God chose him. We can see that there is nothing impossible for God. We need to be encouraged and share that hope. And that fellowship for them, for Abraham and Sarah, was like a reminder. You know, and and getting that fellowship and being reminded of Scripture can change our situation. And it for sure can change our attitude. What promise do you and I need to hear? What promise right now in your own life do you need to hear? Many of us are going through trials and tests right now. Let me just share a few Scriptures. You claim the one you want. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand in Isaiah. Do not fear. Grab a hold of these things. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah, grab a hold of that. Fellowship with the Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. The enemy may be coming at you with all kinds of accusations. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but you are, when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so you can stand up against it. You always provide a way out. Get these things in our hearts. Spend time with the Lord. These truths. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So many of us know that verse and hang on to it. We go through tough situations. Just grab a hold of those truths. Come near to God. He will come near to you. I've done this. I've done that. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you thought. Go to Him. And He'll be there. We need to grab these promises and they will come out of fellowship with Him, fellowship through His Word, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They will be there for the saved and the unsaved alike. 
We're going to do some high speed. You know, cliff notes are kind of a quick overview. Or if you have a DVR, you zip through a whole bunch of things you can kind of see and you watch until you get where you want to go. Well, that's what we're going to do right now in Genesis. After the Lord and these two angels meet with Abraham and Sarah there, it says Abraham is still talking to the Lord and the two angels are going to go somewhere and they're going to go down to Sodom. Because the, the evil of Sodom has risen to the Lord's attention. And we probably all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is what's taking place. And Abraham hears what's going to take place, and he starts to negotiate with God. How many of us can negotiate with God? All of us. He'll listen. may not give us what we want. But Abraham's ability to negotiate with God and talk to him this way comes out of the intimacy that he had with the Lord. He says, God, will you punish the righteous with the unrighteous? What if there's 50 righteous people there? Will you still destroy the city? God says, no. Well, how about 45? God says, okay. How about 40? Okay. Lord, I'm a little nervous about this now, but how about 30? Okay. God, forgive me for being so bold, but how about, how about 10? Okay. Abraham probably thought, okay, I'm pretty safe there. I got Lot and his wife and his two daughters. They're two fiancés. That's six. Surely by now there's at least four people they've influenced. We all know the story. There was not. And God told him, when you leave, the angels told Lot, don't look back. And, of course, one of the old Sunday school stories that we're familiar with, his wife looked back and she was told it turned into a pillar of salt. And then we go through this and we see the, see another one of those choices that have such ramifications. Lot's two daughters. Mother's a pillar of salt. They're worried about the family line being carried on, which is so important. So they get dad drunk, Lot, get him drunk. And they sleep with him one, one night and they do it again the next night. They debase him completely. They both get pregnant and they both have sons. One of the sons from each of these two. Ammonites. Ben-Ami is one of the sons. The other one has a son named Moab, the Moabites. These two groups of people for years tormented God's people. Choices, consequences. In their own minds, it may have been justifiable. The family lineage is a critical thing for the people of that time. But they took it all into their own hands. There are so many things, so many types of trials and tests that come into our lives. And and like Abraham, I believe how we respond to them helps determine our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity. We respond to them properly. We will grow. They may, they may be painful. They may be difficult. There is no doubt about it. But it's a process. And we look at Abraham and, and think of who Abraham was in God's eyes and who he became and the nation that he, that he was the father of. And if you look at Scripture, uh, those of us that accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are referred to as the children of Abraham. And yet he made a lot of mistakes along the way. I want to jump to Genesis chapter 22 
in just a moment. But to re- so you can turn there if you would. But one of the things that's really interesting to me is this. From chapter 12 to 22, the conversations between Abraham and the Lord are referred to nearly 100 times. Nearly 100 times. Not necessarily 100 different conversations, but they're referred to. And what I hear and see in that is there was fellowship between Abraham and the Lord. There was an intimacy. There was a relationship that had been built. And it was built one building block at a time. One challenge, one crisis, one mistake, one standing on the faith of the Lord. One at a time, and it's the same way for us. None of us have this perfect ascension from Mike to Christ-likeness. Wouldn't that be nice? It's kind of one of these. And hopefully we're going towards Christ-likeness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of us. But it's a process. And how we handle all these different crises, these tests, these trials in our lives will determine our maturity. This was true of Abraham, but now he is about to face the most, I believe, challenging crisis in his life. Frankly, when I read this story, probably I, in my mind, there's probably not a more impacting story in the Bible other than God sending Jesus to the cross. This is powerful. I try to imagine putting myself in this situation. I can't do it. I can't do it. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read a couple verses. We're going to talk about it. I want us to be really conscious of not only what's taking place, but what kind of things can we learn about faith, trusting in the Lord. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things. What things? If you would go back and read verse 34, the last verse of chapter 21, it says, And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. What had happened previously, and we don't know exactly how long, but you know, Abraham had kind of messed up once more. He made the mistake again of saying that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. And this king named Abimelech saw her and said, Okay, I'm, I like her. God protected Sarah. God protected Abraham. And what was amazing to me, even in the midst of this half-truth deception, when God gets him out of this mess, he blesses Abraham. King Abimelech gives him all kinds of wealth, gold, silver, animals, the the grace of God. It's amazing, the grace of God. And they had finally then Abimelech, and, and Abraham, Abimelech saw that God's hand was upon him. He was blessed. So he said, let's make a covenant. And they did. And when we look at the last verse of chapter 21, it says, Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistine for many days. In other words, it was a time of peace. It was time of rest. Things were going pretty smoothly. And then we come to verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. He called him by name. Abraham recognized his voice, familiarity. Here I am, Lord. Only this time, the message 
was really different. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Where are those places I try to imagine? He's heard the voice of the Lord many times. And he's found out that the Lord is faithful. And the Lord says what he means. He means what he says. It says God tested. Some translations say tempted. That does not, that's not a good translation according to the way we understand temptation. He's not tempted to sin. He is tested. Or sometimes mama might say proved. He was tested or proved. He called him by name and intimacy that we see there. He answered, here I am quickly. And the command was clear. The, the message was clear. I want you to go. Only this time he tells him where he's supposed to go. The first time he was told to go, he didn't know where he was going. He says, I want you to go. I want you to, to take your son. And it's interesting here. He says, your only son whom you love. Obviously, he had another son named Ishmael, but in God's eyes, he was not the promised child. He was not going to be the father of many nations, many descendants. He says, take your son, your only son, and then offer him there on this mountain that I will show you. They understood. He understood what a burnt offering was. What would you do? God, I must not have heard you right, Lord. What did you say? Would you repeat that, please? This goes against your very nature. This goes against who you are. This goes against who you stand for. And you're telling me to take my son. God, don't you remember? He was the one you promised me that he would be the descendants of descendants more, more than we can count, more than the stars in the sky. God, do you remember your promise? I can't even imagine all the thoughts that went through his head. There's got to be a better way. Lord, why don't you consult me? We don't see anything in the Scriptures about what he thought. And we only see one thing. Immediate obedience to the will of God. That's all we see. Complete obedience. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place for which God had told him. On the third day, three long days of travel, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. We will worship and we will return to you. Immediate obedience. The very next morning. What would I have done? What would you have done? What kind of excuses would we have made? We didn't see him going to Sarah to get some counsel from her. Probably a really good thing. He didn't say, Lord, that sounds pretty good. Let me pray about it. Make sure it's the right time or whatever. 
Lord, let me give you some time to rethink this because it doesn't sound like a good plan. From my perspective, we see none of that. There's nothing in me that makes me think he felt good about going. He would let his feelings dictate how he was going to respond. He would not have responded in obedience. So many things that I think we can relate to. We don't know what he was thinking for sure. We don't know as he was going what he was doing. Was he, was he reversing, rehearsing in his mind and remembering all those promises that God had given him? Was he building up his faith that way? Was he remembering how God had come through every single time, even when he messed up? God ended up blessing him. Did he try to figure out what he's doing? How many of us try to figure out what God is doing when we're in the middle of a crisis or something's happening? Okay, what what in the world are you? We don't see any of that, but we do get a hint in Hebrews chapter eleven. Let me read that to you. It won't be up there, but you might want to just write down Hebrews eleven verses seventeen through nineteen. The writer of Hebrews in that chapter about mighty people of faith, he says, by faith, Abraham, he did this by faith. When God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And this is the key verse, 19. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. So the writer of Hebrews gives us some insight into what might have been going on in Abraham's mind. By faith, he was believing. He knew God's promises were true, and if God wanted him to sacrifice his son, obviously God could do whatever he wanted and raise him from the dead. And it's amazing to me that at this time, There was no precedent that had been set in the Scripture about anyone ever being raised from the dead. Moses was, Moses, Abraham was believing by faith in the power of God, in his faithfulness to his promises, his very character, and all that he'd learned about him. Faith is anything too difficult for God. The Lord himself had spoke those words to Abraham's ears. And he believed it. In verses 6 through 8, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in, in his own hand the knife and the fire. And the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, little sidebar here. Abraham's not a little baby anymore. I mean, excuse me, Isaac is not a little baby anymore. He's at least a teenager. Many of the commentators say that he was probably older than that, maybe in his 20s. Some of the commentators say that he was probably in his 30s. Few even say he was 33 years old because someone else was 33 years old. And he was sacrificed. I don't know how old he is, but I do know this. He wasn't a tiny child who could not have resisted his father. I'm not getting up there. I'm not going to let you tie me up and put me on the sticks and watch you light a match 
after you stick it. No way. We see none of that. Faith. Son says, where's the lamb? I see everything, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire, behold, the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And his dad, Abraham, said, God will provide for himself, for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked out together. God will provide the lamb for himself. The sacrifice was for the Lord. Don't worry about it. I mean, I'd have been worried about it. You'd have had to do a little more convincing. But we, we don't know what happened. We don't know why Isaac's faith was like it was. We can only assume that Abraham and Sarah had raised him in such a way that he understood. At the very least, he trusted his dad and he trusted God. I think there's some lessons here we can learn. I'm going to just go through four very quickly. We can... We need to have faith in these situations because we don't understand God's ultimate plan. Abraham didn't really understand the ultimate plan. As far as Abraham understood, he was supposed to go. God's plan seems to be I'm supposed to sacrifice my son by knife on a fire for his glory. Plan, Abraham said, okay, I guess that's okay. But he didn't know that was not the plan. We don't always know the plan of God. We just need to act by faith. Walk by faith. Live by faith. We also learn from this event in the life of Abraham and Isaac that faith, true faith, requires immediate obedience to the will of God. But that's a hard lesson. My flesh does not like that lesson. This was the promised son that he'd waited years and years and years for. You can only imagine how him and Sarah loved this child. The flesh would say he was probably spoiled rotten because he loved him so much. Being asked, and he responds immediately, what are you and I willing to give up? Last week, Pastor Casey spoke on the Lordship of Christ. What are we willing to lay down for the Lord What is it that the Lord would want us to lay down for him? Probably pales in comparison to putting your child on the altar and taking a knife and offering him as a burnt offering. Faith requires us, number three, faith requires us to believe in the power and the provision of God and his very character. God, there's nothing impossible for him. Whatever the situation, it's not impossible. God will provide what's needed in every situation or he will provide the grace to get through that situation. And in either case, God has provided. God has provided. In verses 9 through 12, I'll start at verse 9. They came to the place 
of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his own son. But the angel of the Lord, and I'm really glad that he understood and recognized the voice of the Lord so that he stopped right now. The Lord spoke. He said the angel spoke. He spoke to him from heaven, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. I think there was a little urgency there. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And I bet I'm going, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. For now I know that you are one who fears God. A literal translation would be, you are a fearer of God. You are one who reverences the Lord. When I read that, the very first thing that I go to is like, now I know God, now I know. What do you mean, now you know? You know everything. You knew exactly what Abraham was going to do. But I believe what's happening here is we are finally seeing what God's plan really was. God's plan wasn't to have Isaac killed on an altar. God's plan was to reveal to Abraham, and I not only believe to Abraham, but I believe to all of his descendants and all who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, this is what faith looks like. makes me feel very inadequate in the area of my faith. But I believe we see that's what God's real purpose was here. He didn't want, he, he condemns sacrifices. We go on into further into the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, etc. He, he despises it. He didn't want Isaac. That wasn't the plan. Isaac wasn't going to be killed. That was not God's plan. But now he reveals it, his plan. I believe that fourth and last benefit I'll mention here is that our faith benefits when we go through trials and tests, when we respond properly. How many of us haven't said or haven't recognized in our own lives, looking back on circumstances and situations, say, man, did I grow there. I hated every minute of it, but boy, did I grow there. How many times do we hear they've got to reach rock bottom before they turn to the Lord? Oh, it's ugly to watch, uglier to experience. But we come out the other side when we respond properly. Our faith is greater. Our faith is stronger. Our faith is proven. God already knows. It's proven to us. It's proven to those. How many of us have said, wow, I watched them go through this, and I want what they've got? I I don't know how I could do what they did in that crisis. And think of many of those situations just looking out here. How did you do it? Your friends, your family, watch this and see these things. When we respond properly, we come out stronger. And you know what? There's blessings. And the blessings can be so different. 
I mean, as I finish reading what we're going to look at today, I'm going to start at verse 13. Abraham raised his eyes. Oh, good, I bet he was happy. He raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram, a sheep, a lamb caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And listen to the blessing that he reiterates. And he said, by myself I have sworn. That's a good thing. When the Lord swears by himself, that's a good thing. By the time myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly. To me, I don't understand all of that, the reasoning, the thinking of the Lord. I don't get it necessarily, but it's, to me, I'm reading like, all right, you're ready. You're ready. He says, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. His obedience brought great blessing. And I can only imagine how many people, how many descendants of Abraham heard this story about Abraham and his son Isaac and how the faith that they had was recognized and rewarded. Faith. The result of his faith. You know, God allows, at the very least, and sometimes He actually brings trials and tests across our path to give us opportunity to demonstrate our love, our faith, our trust, our devotion to Him. These trials will refine our faith when they occur. doesn't mean we'll still like it. That's not the reality of it. But it refines our faith. The Holy Spirit uses us to create in each one of us more of a Christ-likeness. We learn not to depend so much on ourselves as we do to depend on God. This depending on ourselves in all these situations just wears us out. It doesn't work. We feel defeated. Let's just depend on Him, His power and His provision. Ultimately, it will bring blessing into our lives and it brings honor to God. And I, I can't close without just going back for a moment or two on Isaac. Think of his faith, the faith that Isaac demonstrated. From what we see in the Scripture, he immediately submitted to his father. Immediately. He must have had complete confidence that his father had heard the Lord and trusted in him. This is one of the reasons we see so many things when we look at this event. So many people see a type here, a type of Christ. I think maybe if you were looking at it and that that didn't your mind at all, you could see so many similarities in this story to the sacrifice of Jesus. 
Just listen to a few of the things in review. Isaac and Jesus were the only beloved son of a righteous father. Both Isaac and Jesus are identified as the sons of Abraham. Matthew 1.1, Jesus is referred to as the son of Abraham. Both were offered in sacrifice. Both of them were offered in sacrifice in the land of Moriah. Many historians believe Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is built. Some believe Moriah was an area or like a mountain range, but some believe it's right there where Jerusalem was built. Some would take it even further and say that's where the Dome of the Rock is right now. Irregardless of what it specifically was, both in Moriah, Jerusalem. Both of them carried the wood that they were supposed to be sacrificed on. Him, the wood that was, Isaac, the wood that was going to be the fire. Jesus, we know, the wood that was the cross. Both of them were bound. Isaac by rope and Jesus by nails. And both of them willingly offered themselves a sacrifice. And both were resurrected. It says in Genesis, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was dead for three days on that journey. And he was figuratively given back to him on that third day. But that's where the type stops working. Because Isaac was not really sacrificed. Jesus was. Jesus was sacrificed for the sin of the world. Isaac wasn't. Jesus is the only one who can atone for the sins. Pastor Bob shared so much about two weeks ago. Jesus atoned for the sins of the world. Whether we're sitting here or you're watching online, Jesus paid the price for our sin. He was the only Son of God who He loved dearly. He came to earth and lived a sinless life as a man, and He was ultimately nailed to a cross, suffered and died, bled for our sins. He literally was raised from the dead, not figuratively. It was the, the first fruit of the resurrection. If there's anybody here online watching that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's what you need to do. For those that have, we need to develop that relationship. Get in a place of intimacy with God, reading the Word, praying, meditating on His Word, getting to know Him in such a way, know His promises, know His goodness and faithfulness. The worship team would come forward. We'll go ahead and get ready to close with this last worship song. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to woo, draw each and every one of us to you. Father, those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, your Son Jesus is our Lord and Savior, God, you would draw them, open their hearts to receive the truth of your Word. God, for those of us that do, that we would be drawn more and more to the desire and the, the uh, great intimacy that we can have with you. That's your desire. Father, I pray that you would 
continue by your spirit to work in each one of our hearts. Let's stand and worship him together. This closing song. introduce a new song.